so we are with the LOE Marriage Workshop. This is session two. Um, session one was high view of um, high view of marriage, and now we're talking about um, what it is to be a, have a high view of being helper. Helper. Word is used about us in the scriptures. So let's let's get into that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. I thank you for these beautiful uh, ladies' faces that we can be together tonight. And Lord, we um, we just thank you. Ask you for a blessing, a blessing on uh, our hearts and our lives. <clears throat> and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I'll pray a little bit more as we go along, but let's just let's just kind of jump in here. So I I think Maria, I think maybe sent you out a little note saying be good to have a Bible with you. Um, if you if you have one of those just right by you, um, we'll use that a bit tonight, right? And um, so our topic tonight, as I said, it is the biblical understanding of wife as helper to her husband, right? So if there was ever, ever a pursuit for understanding that should never be considered outside the context of the full gospel, this is it. Um, if we don't understand and embrace God's high view of marriage, his high plan, high view of his plan for Adam, for humankind, to carry out his glory, to take dominion in the name of Christ over the earth. These issues of helper and then throw in submission in there for, you know, the fun of it. With those issues in marriage can become just a huge train wreck, huge train wreck for our marriages, huge train wreck for the church. So I want to suggest to you um, that some, if not much, of the discussions that go on um, and teachings that we hear about helper, you know, quotes helper and quote submission regarding wives can parallel the Lord's perspective um, on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When Jesus says to them, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith, the big stuff, right? You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So bottom line is, we can spend a lot of time in the church talking about these issues for wives by straining in a gnat and swallowing a camel. So let's not do that tonight, okay? <laughs> um, without this clear vision of what God uh, was accomplishing in the establishing of husband and wife as one flesh who are stronger together than they are apart um, in fulfilling, why? To fulfill God's destiny call on their lives of taking dominion. We just turn um, molehills into mountains, right? If we get down in the nitty-gritty and we're not seeing the, through everything through the big picture, we turn molehills into mountains and we will completely miss the holy mountain of why and how we're to live in our marriages and um, our union for, for the sake of Christ. 
So we go high, ladies. We're going high. All the trivial, nitpicky applications and conclusions that we come to about helper and submission are going to fall away. And the treasure of what God is up to in the one flesh relationship between husband and wife, it's, it gets revealed. When we go high, we can see well. When we get down in the muck, it just can get all whacked out, okay? So if you didn't hear the first session, I think you all did, but if you didn't happen to hear that first session, um, please go back and re-listen to that. Then come back and re-listen to this one because I think it will just um, help it be more empowering, helpful for you. All right, so I want to pray again, and then we're going to jump into the key scriptures that we're going to be in tonight, okay? All right, so pray with me. Lord, we love you. And we want with all of our hearts to live our lives on this earth with wisdom and understanding that brings with it the grace to do life well. You are worthy, Lord, to have us do life well in our marriages and with our children. And as your church, you've chosen us and you've appointed us to live life by your spirit. Lord, please, please let something from this session tonight be a, a seed for living more by the spirit in our marriages tomorrow than we did today and more the next day than we do tomorrow. Lord, we want to grow in truth. We want to grow in godly sacrifice of our lives for your glory. We want to live in a way that makes you smile. Give us your perspective, Lord, and teach us your ways of life when it comes to our marriages, God. We thank you for being our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Um, and you're quite familiar with these passages, obviously, right? But we're going to be looking at them tonight with fresh lens of uh, asking God for revelation about this topic of a high view of helper as our role, okay? All right, the culmination of God's creative action is seen in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And we're going to read just sections of that, those pa that passage. So we're going to start with um, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make Adam in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the livestock, and over all the earth and over creeping, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. So what I'm asking you to consider here is that man expresses the masculine heart of God 
And the woman expresses the feminine heart of God. They are created in the image of a triune God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam, both man and woman, are created body, soul, and spirit. And each expresses, each reveals the essence of God, just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the family of the Godhead express one God. Okay? So there's nothing inferior or superior about one or the other. Their distinctions are instead to reveal the essence of the image of God. God gives both of them an assignment. It says, And God said to them, to male and female, to both husband and wife, be fruitful, multiply. In other words, bring about increase in the realm you um, each of you have authority in, right? Subdue and have dominion in the earth. That's spoken to both. So let's note that in the whole of the creation account, we read those words, and God said, multiple times. For example, and God said, let there be light, followed by, and there was light, right? And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, followed by, and it was so, right? So here, with male and female, God spoke into existence a mandate for accomplishment for both husband and wife. Let there be fruitfulness and multiplication to fill the earth. Let there be subduing and the taking of dominion. And we can follow that with, and it will be so. Right? Because when God says it, it will be so. So God spoke into existence this corporate life of the husband and the wife that produces a fruitfulness um, that accomplishes the expansion of his kingdom, his will on earth, and it brings into subjection to God everything on the earth. This is his plan, and he's got a way to accomplish it, okay? So if we chafe, if we pull back from God's plan, his way, his strategy, and provision for kingdom expansion, then we're in serious rebellion to God. And we need to repent. We need to cry out for revelation to get this right. We're not dealing with chump chains here. This is big stuff. Doing this right really, really matters for what happens in the course of history. Okay, Adam... Male and female have a job to do, to be fruitful and extend God's dominion throughout the earth. They are to do this in his image, in his authority, in his superiority, and, 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 in his strategic way. So let's jump to chapter 2. And this expands on this, and we're going to start in verse 5, okay? 
When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet spun up, sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man, no Adam, to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, Adam's purpose, let's just pause there for a minute. Adam's purpose was to work the ground, to cultivate life that expressed God's blessing plan for the earth, right? For all the people, for everything on the earth. He was to work that land to perpetuate the blessing. Okay, we're told again that Adam's purpose on the earth was to work what God had set in motion and to keep it, meaning his work should continue to bless creation as God intended it to do. That's the mandate. So going on here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In verse 18, Then the Lord said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. That word is azer. I will make him an azer fit for him. Helper, azer. All right, we translate it helper. All right, here we are. We've got, we're at helper now, right? Azer. Here's where we run into limitation of language issues, okay? What does that word, that title, really mean? Does helper say it all, right? The fact is, the word azer refers to God himself as helper to people 16 out of 19 times in the Old Testament. Azer, God refers to himself, or people refer to God as Azer, helper, right? This is no lightweight title given to a wife. If God uses it for himself, and people use it for God, and then God turns around and uses it for you, holy ground, ladies. This is no just blow it off who wants to be a helper thing, okay? Azer is actually a military term that implies strong assistance given to empower a good outcome. It implies valorous in intervention in a challenging situation. 
It implies strength to help in situations that would be bad, even disastrous, if help didn't arrive. That's helper, azer, right? So using the word azer, helper, to describe the benefit of Adam having and needing a wife makes so much sense when we ask the simple question, why does Adam need strong and valorous assistance? For what? To accomplish what? Why does he need Azer? Right? For his sex life? Right? For his fancy? <laughs> For um, pleasant companionship in his life? Does he need Azer, you know, for, for those kinds of things? We culturally thought of helper as basically a sidekick to Adam to meet his personal, emotional, and physical needs, right? That's how we kind of think in our culture. Um, we, it, it, you know, he needs a helper sort of to make his life complete in basic ways. Those things are valid, but... We've got to get way, way higher than that or we're going to get bogged down in, in basically trivia and comparison. We've got to get right inside the gospel or we're going to trivialize what God has created us wives to be. That's tragic. Adam, male and female, wife and husband, have a huge assignment for their lives. I'm going to say it over and over again, which evidently they can't accomplish without working in harmonious order with each other. Adam was not good for him to be alone. He needed an azer, just by those definitions, right? For which, and so um, he's got to have that to accomplish, be in this harmonious order between husband and wife to accomplish um, what he has ultimate responsibility for, right? He has ultimate responsibility for whether all of that, the dominion, the, the subduing, the, you know, the, um, uh, all of that, 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 he's, he's, that God says they're supposed to do, the fruitfulness, the multiplying, he's responsible for whether that develops out of the marriage relationship, right? He's held accountable for that. So God gives Adam an azer, and she blows it big time. She got into self, into autonomy, into her own agenda about her own life. She stepped out of the one flesh unity and ended up tearing down her house with her own hands. Proverbs says a foolish woman tears down her own house with her own hands. Now Romans 5.12 tells us, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. This is because a husband is responsible to oversee the well-being and the wisdom of his wife. Adam left his wife unprotected. He was told 
to work and to till and keep the garden, keep the environment Eve inhabited with him. So how did the serpent, I question, if he was doing his job keeping the garden, right? Let me ask you a question. How did the serpent not only get into the garden in the first place under his watch, but must have been in there a lot, so much so that Eve felt quite comfortable having quite a prolonged conversation and didn't act like she was shocked or caught off guard by something strange happening. This must have been going on for a while, ladies. This wasn't just a one-off, okay? So Eve was deceived, we're told, but Adam sinned. First, he sinned in his dereliction of duty in failing to lovingly care for his wife. Adam had pulled back into his own autonomous, self-focused world too. They both stepped out of the one flesh relationship and the roles that are strategically designed by God for their holy living. You tracking where we're going? When they both did that, it paved the way for the fall. And the fall came through Adam. He was culpable before God, as we said, because as head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he failed to live out of God's assigned role and priorities to protect his wife and oversee her well-being. So once he stepped out of God's perfect design and will, he himself was easily deceived. That is a very critical element of how do people, we talk about how do people fall into deception? How do mature Christians even fall in, you know, well-taught Christians fall into deception? Once you step out of God's perfect design and will, you're way open to it, right? Just, it does, it just leaves you completely vulnerable. So he forgot what God had said and he easily compromised and he became vulnerable to self-justifying sin. So Adam's sin was a hinge of history, resulting in the fall of humankind out from under the grace of God. And it lays at the feet of Adam. No wonder, no wonder, ladies, <laughs> husband needs an ezer. Your husband needs an ezer by his side. An azer, excuse me, an azer by his side. Um, and he needs a good one, right? So pre-fall, there was no opposition take, to take dominion, to taking dominion. There was no opposition to subduing the earth. There was no opposition to essentially extending the garden and filling the earth with the glory and goodness of God. There wasn't any opposition. It was work. It was work that flowed, and there was not resistance, right? Post-fall, everything got screwed up. It all turned on its head. Now, what was natural, a natural flow of dominion, turns into a war to accomplish this mandate. Essentially, there's now a kind of war. It's a war going on between man and God, 
There's a war, a kind of war going on inside of man, right? A war, kind of war going on between created beings, including husband and wife. So remember we said in the fall, man became alienated from God, became alienated from himself, and he became alienated from other people, right? So now not much is going to flow without resistance. Post-fall, everything gets hard. Now fruitfulness, multiplying, subduing, and exercising dominion involves struggle. Even devastating hardship. Now, man and woman have to be in union where there's not a natural flow of camaraderie. It has to be fought for. It has to be worked on. It takes intentional effort to overcome this opposition, opposition that came in at the fall. Now, we have to go through the cross, husband and wife, to lay down our brokenness, our sinful opposition, oppositional nature, to lay down our misplaced dominion taking that's become disoriented so that we try to dominate each other, even dominate God. The cross makes a way for us to get our bearings back post-fall. But it does not get us back to the garden. Do not expect it to be easy. Not yet. The earth is still groaning for redemption. There's still opposition to taking dominion over the earth in the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, I've been, been reading Paul's letters again and and just thinking about him a lot lately. Um, I just don't want to gloss over his life and go, yeah, there's a fact, there's a fact. I'm just trying to visualize what this man's life was like, right? So the Apostle Paul says, we are crucified with Christ and our fleshly self no longer lives, right? But he also says, in walking out that victory, I must die daily. I've actually been thinking lately about what it was like for Paul to be um, have received 39 lashes five times, five times in his life. How did he even survive that in a, in a culture where there were no antibiotics, where there was you know no medical care, there was no hospital there? Um, and not only did he have that five times, if you had it once and you survived, wouldn't you run away from any even possibility that it would ever come on you again? Five times he walked into that. Three times beaten with rods. So let alone, how did he survive it physically? How did he survive it? The mental anguish of it over and over again. And still walk into the next city, preaching the bold gospel that resulted in this unbelievable suffering. Paul is an amazing example for us of realizing we are now in a battle zone until the Lord returns. And what it can take, he's an example for us of what it can take 
to fulfill God's mandate um, by not giving up. Don't give up on the task, no matter what the opposition. You just go, oh, Lord, God, how far we are, right? So now, what is the context of your marriage? You're married, husband and wife, in a war zone. With a mutual mandate to enforce the victory of Christ in your personal lives, the lives of your children, your extended family, and all over the earth in any sphere of influence that you can step into. This is your mandate together. So let's talk about God's design for taking dominion and subduing the enemy his way. Because what we don't want to do is talk with the serpent to get our ideas about whether we need to be azer to our husband or not. That did not go well the first time, so let's not do it again in our relationship with our husband. Okay. So we see at the fall that God held Adam responsible for the debacle with the forbidden fruit. Even though Eve disobeyed first, Adam was responsible for her choice as well as his because he is the leader in the marriage and he's culpable before God for what goes wrong. The buck stops with him. So when man ran, when God, excuse me, when God ran his image through a prison and separated out Adam into male and female, into Adam and Eve, He obviously intended a working order to this dominion-taking team, and it involves an order, a structure of responsibility and accountability. We've got to understand what that is and know practically how to walk that out. This is not something God just pulled out of the blue. Look at the Godhead, the triune family of God. Jesus says in John 14, 10, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. The Father dwells in me. In John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Yet, in John 14, 28, Jesus says, in order to establish the kingdom of God on earth, He says the Father is greater than he is in the role he plays. So in Luke 2.49, Jesus says that while on earth he is about his Father's business, it's all about following the Father's will. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. Jesus is God, but here on earth, there's an order and roles to live out. He didn't feel this ordered role in life was something to chafe at, something to resent, something to weasel his way out of. 
He understood the way to powerful victory over the devil on earth was to walk out the role he had been given under the father to achieve the goal. So your husband, ladies, is the head of your marriage by God's deeming and God's design. Head of your marriage, head of your family. And you are azer to him because what a burden he has, what a responsibility he has, what a high level of accountability that he has when he faces Jesus, <laughs> right? He needs you. He needs you or God wouldn't have set it out this way. All right, so what does this look like being Azer to your husband? So let's go to Proverbs 31, okay? Let me know when you get there. Okay. All right. We women often read of this Proverbs 31 woman and we feel greatly inferior to her. We look and we go, who is this woman who can live like this? You know, who is she? What kind of superhuman woman is she? Well, let me tell you, she is not someone you are supposed to strive to be like. Actually, in Proverbs 31, God is telling you who you actually are. And this passage is meant to be a mirror for you to look in and realize who God has made you inside. God has made you to be with the power of the Holy Spirit as your source of wisdom and strength and power, just like this woman. As we read, realize this is the real you. You just need to open the package of your life and let her out. Let the real you out, right? So that's a real um, focus for prayer and for affirmation, and just orient your mind around that, right? It isn't something I'm someone I'm striving to be. It's who I am, and, and I need to get the encumbrances out of the way so I can live the real me. So let's look at verse 10. It says, An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. So excellent, that word excellent is the word kayil. You've probably heard this. But kayil is a great word, excellent. Here we have the meaning. It means strength. It means ability, efficiency, wealth, a force army. It also is implying ability, being able, being capable, mighty, 
noble, powerful, valor, warrior, wealthy, worth. Wow. Sounds a lot like Azer. Strong, valiant, able to come alongside your husband and bring supernatural help in times of challenge, even in disaster. Get a better image of yourselves, ladies. You are more precious than jewels. So, I want us to uh, look in the mirror inside and I want you to say this with me. You're all on mute so you can just say it alone in your own space, but I want you to say this after me. A true Azer walks around in my body. I am Kail by God's design. I embrace my true identity And I will shake off anything that gets in the way of that. I am adequate for every good work. I am filled with the love of Christ, pure and powerful. I am wise, strong, courageous and unyielding in the ways of the Spirit. God said, let there be Azer. And it will be so. And I will be an excellent Azer. Okay. All right, look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. All right, unmute yourselves for a bit and let's see if we can chat about this a little bit. The heart of her husband trusts in her. So here's a question for you. What do you think that means for a husband to truly be able to trust his wife. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Trusts in what way? Trusts for what? Just, just start talking out loud. Trust in everything. Um, just knowing everything about him and knowing that he, she has his best in mind and just being able to trust about everything in life, whether it's, you know, about the kids or just anything that she might bring up or want to talk about, um, that it's a safe environment mm -hmm. and that he doesn't have to fear like any condemnation or shame or feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else? Trust her intentions. For what? Trust her intentions mm -hmm. for him are good. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. When she shares feedback or advice that it's with good intention. Mm -hmm. 
What else? Okay, I'm gonna leave that with you. And you're gonna I'm gonna ask you, you know, suggest to you that you go back through this Proverbs 31 and you turn it into a prayer document and you'll be asking God, God, what does it mean for, for me, between me and my husband, that my husband heart trusts me. Then this isn't saying the mind, the intellect, like I should trust you. This is the inner person inside of this husband who feels deeply, I trust you. Right? That's a good one to go to God over and ask for revelation. It's a good one to pray into. It's even a good one to find the courage to say, what is it about how I relate to you that that draws you into trusting me and what makes you fearful what's the opposite of trust i don't trust you i don't trust you you're not safe for me i have to put up walls with you right important so first and foremost i wrote down that personally he's safe in her unconditional love he can trust in her empowering influence in his life. This wife is going to build him up in the direction God wants him to go and not take him in her direction because it's self-satisfying for her. It's not about her. It's about this man before God. He senses she's for him and not against him, like we said. And in a broader sense, as the head of his wife and family... He can trust his wife to carry out their mutual values and mission skillfully in all her spheres of influence. Like you mentioned, Diane, with the children and all, right? He can trust you to be wise and godly and self-sacrificing and and, um, being who you need to be to do this mandate together that you have. He's not, here's a point, he is not going to have to go from crisis to crisis with you about you carrying your load. He can trust whatever is in this wife's, um, in her responsibility to be done with excellence. And he won't be rebuked by God because of how this wife is living her life. So how about verse 11? It says, again, the bottom part, he says, he will have no lack of gain. What does that mean? He will have no lack of gain. Any ideas? not sure if this is what the scripture intends but i think about kind of what you're saying if we're to build our husband up in the way that god intends for him um it's sort of you know in that way as our husband's also you know pursuing the kingdom and pursuing you know his relationship with the lord there's no lack of gain you know he's 
you know, what the, the phrase is making progress or he's yeah. you know, successful in God's eyes and, you know, we're not hindering him on that path, you know, whatever he's doing, you know, which is of course on behalf of the family, um, you know, his relationship with the Lord. Sure. Sure. Anything else? I'm seeing that maybe like in us that he lacks nothing or he there's nothing more that he can gain um, because even like in the previous verse it says that we uh, are well are well he's already has wealth mm-hmm. and so having us as his helper is is, is more that he can gain okay So your husband is going to be better off in every way because you're walking alongside of him and because you're intertwined with him as one. He's going to be better off in every way. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, um, wealth-wise and and prosperity in, in, in every aspect of life, he is better off in every way because you are one with him. Everything about who you are, how you relate to your husband, how you do life is going to benefit him. Everything is going to build him up. Nothing is going to tear him down when it comes to your relationship with him. So verse 12, she does him good and no harm all the days of her life. In our marriage ceremony, um, I said as part of my vows to Dick before God, I vow to do you good and no harm all the days of my life. Um, so what, what could we do to harm our husbands. What does doing him good look like practically? Kind of come at it from both sides there. What harms a husband? How does a wife harm a husband? I was gonna say that um, I know that like I struggle with this. So I mean, like judgment and like the words that we use towards the words that I use towards like my husband, that could be harmful to him. And so I think, you know, I can be more generous in that way and support him and and not harm in that way. Because I think, yeah, words hurt. And even the way that we act and think and um, judge a lot, just like their actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, words have power. And we know that from the scripture. God said, and it was, you know. And we go, oh, the things we pronounce over our husbands to their faces and behind their backs and in our in our quiet, the quiet of our minds do great harm. It can do great harm to our husbands that way. What else? I believe that like when interacting with people outside of our marriage you know if Eric's not around I try to be more intentional or just mindful that I'm not 
being disrespectful or like dishonoring um and just you know we may not agree about something but not making him out to be a bad guy or anything so just watching my mouth in that regard yeah yeah so protecting his reputation or um Mm -hmm. his integrity Mm -hmm. it's easy to fall into the opposite of that huh when you've been hurt and you're confused and you go wait a minute we've talked about this over and over again and this man is staying and what's driving me crazy and hurting me and then it's it's you just get baited by the enemy nagging can be harmful <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so again I'll just commend this to you going back through this and asking God the questions will you show me where I have the power to harm my husband will you show me where I have harmed my husband so I can repent and change will you show me how to do good all the days of my life to this man Right? what that looks like practically you turn it as a prayer document. So she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. What does that indicate? Well, she's intentional. And she's aggressive in how she envisions working in the worldly system to, to, to provide well for her family. This is not a boxed-in, monochromatic, one-layer-deep woman, this Azer. Right? She has a reason for what she does and how she's doing it in the sphere of her family life. It's got breadth. It's got depth. It's got... Um, effectiveness to it so verse 14 and 16 it says she's like the ships of the merchant she brings her food from afar she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands and she plants a vineyard what's that about it's thinking thinking ahead and taking from like what god blesses you with to actually increase and multiply it so what is you know here's not just the food for the table but how can i bring increase she is sharp this lady is sharp and this is you ladies you may not even think of yourself this way or maybe you do and you take great joy in it but you are sharp god has gifted you to be able to be creative in the context of the order, in the context of the role he has given you to play in this marriage and in this family, to be able to do very creative things for the advancement of your family, for financial prosperity, for the wisdom to know how to um, give healthy, raise your children in a healthy way so that they really can live to 120 like God intends and not die of diabetes and heart disease, you know, earlier than their, their life extent, um, extent should be. All those things, that's what God has placed within you. And 17 through 19 says she dresses herself 
it says means girds her loins, right? It's kind of like a war thing. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchant uh, perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff. Another hand holds the spindle. This Azer is all in. She puts her full effort into whatever it is she puts her hand to, whatever she sets about to do, right? Success is her goal, and she is not hesitant to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And she's not lazy, and she's not distracted, and she's not, her life is not involved with a lot of trivial non-essentials. This woman has appointed a pointed, you know, pointedness, a, a goal-oriented intentionality to her life. And that's God-honoring and husband-honoring, right? She considers it her privilege and her mandate from the Lord um, to work hard, maybe harder than anybody else around her and maybe harder than her husband's working in the family. She considers that her privilege and her honor to fulfill that role. And it actually ignites her and doesn't um, make her resentful. And I think this verse, these verses could also have some element that she really works hard to take care, you know, maybe may referring to it, but it makes sense anyway, to keep herself physically strong and capable to be able to do what it is she has to do. Ladies, it's very hard to be a Proverbs, you know, be the Proverbs 31 woman that you have when you're sick and weak and, you know, troubled physically, it, it just, um, man, it makes it way, way harder than if we can keep ourselves um, fit for the war that we're in, you know, for the roles we need to play. All right, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands for the needy, right? She is not myopic in how she orients her life. She's not just first concentric circle in around herself. She's conscious of God's priorities to care for others besides her own family and herself and her husband. In her busy life, she never forgets to do good to others with intentionality. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. That's an interesting one, huh? So Proverbs 31 not only addresses preparing our home and family for cold weather, right? For hard times. But it also has this spiritual application. The term clothed in scarlet refers to the scarlet wool used by Moses in the Old Testament. It represents the blood that Jesus shed for the cleansing of the sin of the world. Therefore, when we are clothed in scarlet, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We've been saved by his dying on the cross for our sins. So when the, wind, the spiritual winter comes, she's not going to have any fear for those under her care for she has led them and instructed them and covered them in the blood of jesus 
When hard times come, she has no fear because Christ is Lord of all their lives and her family. Hers, her husband's, her children, the people that, that work with her, right? And as children of the king, she does not have to fear when they face their children, her children, face the winners in their lives because under her tutelage, under her covering, they're cared for by God. The statement <clears throat> for her household, <clears throat> excuse me, means she's drawn all those in her sphere under her protection of the blood of, of Jesus. So people who come in to this, the, this, this woman's um, home, into her sphere of influence at all, all, they do, all their dark baggage is, is outside. It can't come in. Um, she's the influencer and not the influence by those who come into her home and around her children and around her husband. 20, verse 22 says, She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So linen was a symbol of purity. Right? So this woman is pure, pure-hearted, pure thinking, pure intention, pure in her ability to receive correction, pure in her desire to grow in wisdom and life and holiness, right? When, um, when we look at the scriptures, you can see angels and martyrs, it says, were dressed in fine linen. She's right in the company. And uh, when Pharaoh put Joseph over all of Egypt, it says he dressed Joseph in fine linen. All right, verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So the gates are always the place of decision-making, the place of culture-shaping, right? So her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What do you think that means? would be that it has something to do with reputation mm -hmm. okay. and I'm not talking about like a social you know status but like you know if we're talking about the elders in the land I imagine it's especially in the, in the context of the community of believers mm -hmm. uh, okay mm -hmm. yeah so if we tie this in with the way she lives life, the way she is azer to her husband, she sets him free to be out in a realm God has for him influencing culture and ruling and reigning for Christ in his sphere of influence. And everything about what she offers to him and how he does life increases his level of authority, his level of influence. He grows in that 
through the course of his life because Azer is there with him. His, her life sets him free instead of holding him into her sphere of responsibility. Now this, I'm just going to step in here a little bit and, and share a perspective. Um, and so you just kind of take it for what, what is worth, okay? But her life sets him free instead of holding him into her sphere of responsibility. He can't be out there if he's got to be in here, right? So here's a bit of an exhortation. Um, I, I have, you know, just kind of all the years, you know, 75, right? And then, and then just kind of lots of women's ministries, lots of what we're doing with LOE, lots and lots of history of that for decades and decades of being with, you know, other women and how we do life in our families. And, and I have seen women who, in the secular world, could run a company. They have run companies. They have been, you know, very successful salespeople, creative in technology, in the medical fields, and all of these things. Hugely successful and competent in in secular world. And then they get married, and they have children, and they fall apart. Like they get helpless and whiny and and can't solve their own problems. And, you know, all the long nights that they spent writing reports and, you know, doing all that needed to be done. And now they're, you know, telling their husbands they can't stand being up with a baby at night and, they, you know, whatever. And you're just going, what flipped? Where's this dual personality? Like somehow we get into this relationship and, you know, a husband with a husband and, and we start just sucking them in going, I need you for this and I need you for that and your children need you for this and they need you for that. And by the way, I need all this time out and you, you know, you can come home and give me my time out. And, and so I look at that and I just go, a little bit of that goes a long way, ladies. Azer, Azer, Azer is strong. Valor, I mean, as strong as you would be out in the marketplace, as strong as you would be, you know, CEO of that company or a medical doctor or, you know, whatever, whatever job you were doing at whatever level of responsibility. Don't allow the enemy to bring you in where, where you unconsciously fall into this helpless, um, sort of pitiful state where your husbands feel like they have to run right home rather than have a conversation with somebody, you know, at work, right? Or they, they can't travel to do something or they can't, you know, go and, and be and do and be in the gates, right? Because, oh my God, I got to be home because if I'm not, my wife's going to fall apart because, you know, she's coming unglued. And, um, and so if, anyway, I just, I, I just throw that in because I've seen it a lot. I'm not saying, you know, anything personal about any of us here, right? But I am, I do see that as a trend that somehow there's this tendency for women to become much more dependent, whether it makes them feel like my husband loves me if he gives me all this attention, right? So um, when husbands, when your husbands have the opportunity to increase their sphere of influence, 
through travel, through gatherings outside the home, through participation in influential settings. They should not have any guilt about doing that. They shouldn't have an ounce of guilt wondering if you can survive without them being present. You're strong. You're Azer. You are there to set him free. And he's there to impact your life and to bring out the best and the strength and all of that. And, and it will be mutual. But just make sure it's really mutual. Because there's a tendency for women to overdo that side of the mutual part. <laughs> okay, so that's my little mama's exhortation to put in your knapsack. So um, verse 24 says she makes linen garments and she sells them and she delivers sashes to the merchants. So as we said, linen um, symbolizes purity. She does business that's pure in the eyes of God and she contributes to real needs in the culture. Right? And she can do that in the context of of this multifaceted um, personality that God has given her, right? Verse 25, when strength and strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. When people look on this woman, when they look on you, they see, they are to see strength. They're to see dignity, even in times of hardship that may come in the course of life. Strength and dignity, that's who you are. That's what you bring to life. It doesn't shape you, you shape it. This woman's view of life, how she thinks and processes life, gives her strength. To put her in a dignified state of being, she thinks herself into strength rather than into weakness, right? She isn't falling apart, coming unglued as a lifestyle. 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the, and the um, uh, I mistyped something here. What does it say? And the what of kindness is on her tongue? What does it say? And what it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the something of kindness is on her tongue. I don't what know. Verse this? What verse is this? This is verse 26. It's ESV. Anyway, we can just say her kindness is kindness is on her tongue, right? She When she opens her mouth is wisdom and kindness. So it sounds like, to me, she is a beautiful life coach with her children. She is encouraging and kind-hearted to her husband, right? And she has wisdom to offer. And the way she has wisdom to offer is that she has this, she's got to get wisdom from the wise one. She's got to get wisdom from God herself, right? So just like the disciples, they said of the disciples, wow, where'd they get this wisdom? Where did they get this presence about them? They must have been with Jesus, right? That's who this this woman is Jan yeah uh, just worth mentioning uh, the the word is teaching of kindness uh, I had teasing I thought no, that's not right <laughs> okay teaching of kindness thank you all right verse 27 she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness whoa didn't we see that this woman is not like 
sitting around watching a lot of TV or <laughs> just dinking around on the internet, right? It's, she's purposeful, intentional. Not that she doesn't rest, of course, right? We're not saying that, but, but she lives quite an intentional life. This woman lives intentionally, intentionally, out of intentionality. She works hard at establishing a household that pleases God and honors her husband. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Whew. Right? Don't we all seek that? What is this saying? She's a skilled mother as well as this excellent azer to her husband. We're getting down to the end here. Verse 29, many women have done excellently, but you, ladies, surpass them all. That's who you are. These are the words that rise up in the heart of her husband about you. This is another one you can just take right into prayer and say, you know, do I live with my husband and my family, my children? Do life in such a way that my husband rises up, my children rise up to call me, um, to call me blessed. Right? You surpass them all. The word is my, is that was the perception my husband has about me. Verse 30, charm is deceitful, beauty's vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This woman is discerning and she values what is worthwhile. Her whole focus is toward the Lord. And verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Ah, here's the gates. I thought she wasn't in the gates. I thought it was the guy who was in the gates. She was somewhere else supporting the gate guy. And here she is in the gates. Give her the fruit of her hands fruit of her labors, and let her works praise her in the gates. So the man sits in the position of leadership in the gates, right? Representing decision-making that shapes the flow of life at home and in the culture. And Azer, his wife, is also in the gates because of her works as Azer. It yields so much power and influence as her husband. So we now have mandated mission accomplished. We have these roles that they are to play. If they're honored, right, and lived out excellently, now we have husband and wife influencing culture, shifting the earth, taking dominion, subduing, bringing things into conformity to Christ and to the kingdom of God together. It ends up, it feels like it's saying, okay, you're kind of out of that loop and, and you're the helper and he's the big honcho, you know, and you build him up and, and play behind the scenes. But, but in the end, it comes out in a fully mutual way of saying, both are exercising this intense and beautiful and effective culture-shifting influence through their lives. 
God's order and structure wind up, wind up here. God's order and structures in life are designed to accomplish victory. That is so much more victory. That's so much more than just about who feels equal to whom at any given time. Who wants the title of leader and resents being called the helper? Who feels put upon with an unfair share of the labor, right? Who gets more attention and acclaim? Who feels hurt or offended? It's like, it just, the trivia fades away when you realize what God is really trying to accomplish and how the roles and the playing out of those roles in excellence is what accomplishes the mandate you've both been given from your father. So all that stuff that can be the nitty nitpicky, trivial, feeling level, whatever, it just drops away and we see it all as wood, hay, and stubble. We go, ah, who cares, right? Not on my screen. What is on my screen is God has said it was not good for Adam to be alone and he brought him an azer, an azer with all those words we used, strong, valiant, able to come alongside in horrible, hard situations, bring powers for good outcomes, right? Um, all those things, an, an, arm, an army, a force like an army to, to war for the destiny of your lives together, the destiny of your family, the destiny of your children. You are so powerful in God and in his way. Okay. okay. Let's stop here. We have a few minutes left. Um, any comments, any questions? Um, I, I wanted to share something that's in my Bible version. Um, Where'd you go, Sarah? Okay, anyone else? <laughs> Until Sarah gets back. <laughs> I was just noticing um, a little bit of a just kind of structure to this passage that I hadn't noticed before, which mm -hmm. is that it starts out with a focus on her husband, right? Um, verse 11 and 12. And then, then it mentions her family, in verse 15 and even like you know um and then and then her servants right <laughs> the kind of next circle um and then then it it, it talks about the poor mm -hmm. um so just seeing that like circle of influence was an interesting like kind of just thinking about like it starts there and kind of ripples out from from there yeah. something i noticed yeah beautiful and it's all done god's way all done in God's order, all accomplished through his structure and his order, right? So go ahead, Sarah, you're back. I'm back. All you're right. back. Um, it says here in my version, the woman described in this chapter has outstanding abilities. Her family's social position is high. In fact, she may not be one woman at all. 
She may be a composite portrait of ideal womanhood, of ideal womanhood. Do not see her as a model to imitate in every detail. Your days are not long enough to do everything she does. See her instead as an inspiration to be all you can be. We can't be just like her, but we can learn from her industry, integrity, and resourcefulness. And I think that takes off the weight because you reread this and it's a little overwhelming. But we, but I think just knowing the composite of her is really helpful and sets a bar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it was really helpful to hear about just letting go of our husband sometimes and that we need to remember to not lean on him, but lean on God, mm-hmm. that him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you for that encouragement. Mm-hmm. Good. I think the other reflection I had, like there's this big theme about um, like textiles and fabrics mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing. And I was like, what's with that? Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like even from like the material that you're using for the textiles and, um, and I, I, I wonder if part of it was that that was kind of her primary role at the time was like clothing the family and mm-hmm. like, like that she played a big role in, in textiles. And so, um, and, and what her family was wearing and making clothes and what she was wearing, what her husband was wearing. I don't know, like this could or could not be, but, um, but I was just, I was just thinking about that and how, um, I guess the, the takeaway for me is like, what, you know, what is that primary, like, 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 I don't want to mess up the, the, the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I get everything else right, but not the main thing, right? right? Like if, if in the cultural context of the time, if clothing and, cl- you know, clothing the family was part of the woman's role, then that really said something about her kind of fulfilling that, that, um, responsibility and, and place in the family. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just kind of pondering that and, um, yeah. Yeah, Interesting stuff to ponder. I think that too, that, that, um, there's always that sense of there's the, there's the physical, how things play out in the physical, and then what sort of the archetype is. You know, what what's the like like linen, where you realize you know linen really is um, and and biblical interpretation has to do with purity and um, being raised into authority, right? Like with Joseph and that kind of thing. So you just go, okay, everywhere. You, you you look at at the scriptures. There are things that happen to real people. There are things that real people do and say and think. And then there's also this sense of, oh my gosh, that's a type of Christ. <laughs> oh goodness, you know that points to this. That points to this. You know what was linen? What was scarlet? What did they do? And you know how they arranged the temple? And what was that pointing to in Christ? Right. So it's always just good to ponder all of that. You know at at all levels. You know, so that's good. Anything else? I, I think um, sometimes when we're reading this, it does seem overwhelming because pro- um, perhaps in, in a certain te- uh, context in, and also in our, you know, time of where we're living right now. But I think, Jan, and um, thank you for kind of like, you know, helping us break it down because it feels, it seems like, like, you know, yeah, we are resourcefulness, you know, they don't, it's like whether you're buying 
you know, if you're looking at your household and say, oh, maybe I can get things cheaper at Costco versus Trader Joe's or whatever. It's just, you know, you're managing your finances that way. You are, you know, being resourceful and, and um, being wise in how you spend your money. And I think perhaps even what uh, Stephanie was talking about in regards to linen and, and fabrics and things like that is probably because back then, um, those were fine things and, you know, not always do they may perhaps have the finances or resources to purchase those things, but it seems like she was wise in, in searching out maybe the best deals or what was best for her children or how to clothe them, whether or not they had, uh, the finances or not. So mm -hmm. I just think even in our present day that we can see our having or allowing God to see that we are this, like he said, that we are resourceful. We are, we are have the capability and ability to do these things. And as we walk with God, not chafing with the roles, not chafing with um, getting the, the pettiness of the roles in our face all the time, going, that's totally irrelevant. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this high, this high view of husband and wife and the roles they play and why it's all about God's design for victory on the earth, right? It's big, it's huge. It's not just about you. It's so much less about you than it is about God and the flow of life on the earth and the mastery of, of God bringing in the kingdom on earth. I mean, your life is like, it just ought to bring us all to this sense of awe. Like, I live it at such a mundane sort of, you know, bedroom, bathroom, kitchen level. But man, we got to come up. That's why we need to keep our noses in the word, our hearts in the word. And, and so we can just get lifted up. I mean, ladies, you are, this is who we are, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, right? We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And it says we can do all things through Christ. I mean, we need to take the and begin to pronounce over ourselves and grab hold of our minds and our image centers and see ourselves as God sees us. Again, I'm going to pray for us. I don't want anybody going away here. You know, any of us walking out of here going, I have to try and be this woman, right? This isn't, again, let me go back to what I said in the beginning. This is who God has made you. The Spirit of God within you has made you Azer, right? Now you can deny that. You can let your old wounds inform you versus let God inform you and wash away that and, you know, and release who he has really made you to be. But I just highly recommend that, number one, you meditate on this, not as this is something I have to become, but this is who I am. Oh, yes, God, thank you that I'm creative. Thank you that I actually am bold and courageous and, and you know, walk in great valor. Thank you that I have the wisdom to lovingly come alongside my husband in times of, of where he, he might be getting off base in the call that you have placed on his life. And and I'm not gonna play the role of Eve who screwed it up. I'm gonna be the good Azer, <laughs> you know, who's gonna set my agenda aside and come alongside this man and, 
and, and, you know, whisper, maybe even say forcefully, wait a minute, you know, wait, what are you doing? Where are you going? Right? God is the center of your life. Get back on track. Don't listen to that in your head. Listen to this. Here's the word of God, right? The one who comes alongside and, and, and whispers and both, you know, helps and, and helps him stay on track and not get deceived, right? Because the two of you together are the ones who reach the goal. And, and um, you know, yes, your husband is, is um, responsible for what goes on in your life. We're, you know, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk with the man. If we would just pray about that for next week, please. <laughs> I've never quite done that before with a group of men to really be talking about what it is to... Um, be the head of your home and all of that you know so just that 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 would be a blessing to them and and to your families right so anyway nobody goes away with a works attitude this is not about being under the law do it and you shall live this is about worship this is about yieldedness this is about meditating on what god says so that you change your own view of who you are and come in line with him Okay, and you'll see it happen. You'll see it happen. You'll just, you know, begin to to realize you have it in you. And as you take the role and embrace the role that he has given you to play in this victory process, you're going to see transformation in your husband. You're going to see it. So one of the, you know, kind of we go out for coffee kinds of things and have a talk or, you know, whenever the, the opportunity comes. I mean, I can I can think of questions and going, okay, it's good to think about being an azer to a man who's really striving to go forward in his life. What about, you know, a husband who's just stuck in the mud and, you know, is kind of like a Christian in name only at the season of his life or who's disillusioned or who's depressed and won't talk himself out of his depression or, you know, how do we be Azer then, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, those things are, are what we meditate about, what we run to the Lord with and, and how we encourage each other as a sisterhood, you know, who really want to pursue the all of God and the righteousness that he's placed within us, okay? All right, let me pray for you now. Right on time. Lord, thank you for this time. And I I just ask again, Lord, that something of this time will plant a seed in each of these precious azers to their husbands, God, that will grow up into a mighty oak tree, that will shift their marriages in a righteous and wonderful way on its foundation. And God, that, that you would speak the practicalities of this, the nuances, God, of, of what this looks like. Lord, um, we, can, we can get a theory, but man, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? And what do you do when this dynamic is going on or this situation rises up? Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. You never leave us, Jesus. You never forsake us. You have said that the Holy Spirit takes everything you know and tells us. And we say, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that are yielded. Give us teachable hearts, God. You are worthy to have us 
um, be wide open and teachable and moldable in the potter's hand. You are such a good God. You want to do such great and wonderful things on the earth. And in the middle of that, Lord, we are deeply blessed when we say and stay in the center of your will. So God help us. God help us. I just bless these azers and say, just go for it. Um, your works will influence the gates of culture um, through your own life, through your husband, through your children, through the spheres of those concentric circles going out from our homes and our lives, God. Um, thank you so much that your plans are beautiful and that you said it. You said, take dominion, subdue, fill, be fruitful, multiply. You said it and it comes to pass in these women, in these marriages, in these homes, and in your church for your namesake. Amen.